Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR, Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase a 12-step program that assists recovery from compulsive behaviours. By sharing lived experience, we hope that others can understand that recovery is a realistic hope and that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guests are Therese and Faye. They're members of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, and they'll be sharing their story of recovery from food addiction. Welcome to the Living Free Show today. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. So I'll start with you, um, Therese. Um, usually we, we start talking about you know, growing up and family. So what was your early life like and how did that influence where you went in the end? I think it had a huge influence. Um, my early memories as a very young child are of a, a mother who I realised today had undiagnosed mental illness. She was present, but she was not available. Um, I was alone a lot of the time, even though she was with me. We lived in the country in the middle of nowhere. She didn't drive. Dad worked long hours. And I just remember always being lonely and always feeling left out, not being included. My siblings were quite some years older than me. So I did not really have a lot to do with them. Yeah, that's, that's how it began. Okay. So were you fairly remote um, where you were? Yeah, yeah, we were. We were. We were 25 k's from the nearest town, which is a, a small country town in itself. And it's a long way when you left with no car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what about friends? Did you, was school a, an enjoyable experience for you? It was when I was young. I had some friends, but again, because mum didn't drive, it was only when I was at school. I didn't have after school events or anything like that. We did have a lot of uh, relatives that visited at holidays and there were often children my age then. And they are some of my favourite memories of childhood when they were all around. And um, those people are actually some of my best friends today. Okay. So when did food start becoming an issue for you? I remember a time, my mother was a big woman, and I remember a time when she was at the sink uh, muttering to herself and eating from a packet that would have, as an accompaniment to dessert or part of a dessert, it would have fed a family of five as we were for five or six nights. And she stood there with this tub and just ate it alone and... I remember suddenly feeling very, very angry because she could get away with it because of, I'm presuming, because of her age. And I wanted to be able to do that, and I knew I couldn't. I remember climbing up on the kitchen benches to reach the cupboards above where stuff was hidden. And that was really quite hard to do because the above cupboards were the same size as the cupboards down below. And it was yep. quite a balancing act. And I was a scared little kid, you know. It was really hard to get up there and open that cupboard and get into that food. But I did it. I did yep. it. Yep. Yep. How old were you at this point? 
I don't think I would have been more than four. I'm not sure on that one. The memories are quite vague. Okay. So how did that progress then? Did you continue trying to seek out food? I assume when nobody was around. Yes, yeah, and if I got given some coins or some pennies, well, I go back to pennies, really, um, as a treat. There was a corner shop that my uncle and aunt actually ran just across the road, and I would go over there and spend everything I was given on, on lollies. And then I would hide because I had a big brother who would bully me to get my treats off me. I would hide and there were times when I actually ate so much in one go that I was left feeling sick. But I still would not stop until I'd finished everything that I had bought. Right. So there was never any thought of sharing? Not unless I had to. (laughs) No. No, Nothing was coming between me and the food. Right. So did that mean that you ate a lot at mealtimes as well or not? I probably did, not from choice. It was like, you know, finish everything that's on your plate or you're not going to get dessert. That was the way it went in those days. So think of the starving children in Biafra, I think it was back then. Yeah. So I didn't like my mother's cooking, I have to admit. Did she overeat herself? Yes, she did. Yeah. She did. She had a an obsession with her weight and the way she she looked. I remember being like still a skinny little kid and she'd be saying, don't ever get fat or you'll never have a boyfriend, you'll never get married, you'll never have children. And I decided that that would probably be a good way to live, to not have a boyfriend or children or a husband. I guess because I, even then I probably wanted to eat. It made it sound scary. It really made it sound scary. Okay, Yeah. right. So I'll swap over to you, Faye. Um, so what was your early life like? I loved being in the kitchen with my mum when my mum was cooking or if I was staying with my grandmother, I was always in the kitchen and I was the one that got to lick the bowl and, you know, taste the things that came out of the oven first and, um, yeah, always hung around the kitchen. And I remember mum cooking things and... Uh, you know, and I would be taking them behind her back and she'd say, I'm sure I made a lot more than that, you know, and, you know, where did they go and that sort of thing, you know. So I was always there pilfering something. And my earliest memories of staying with my grandmother was uh, I was around about three or four. I'm not exactly sure the the age, but she had this sideboard and she and I had gone down to the, the, the bakery And we brought all these things up and put them in the sideboard for my family coming because they were coming to pick me up. And I remember going into that cupboard and taking out a specific thing to eat. And I hid behind my mother's grandmother's curtains. She had a bay window and I hid behind the curtains in the bay window so I couldn't be seen. And I was sitting there eating this this, um, flour and sugar product and... uh, Yeah, just, and it had had the white stuff all over it. So it was all over my mouth. And I really didn't particularly like what was in it. And I'd actually dropped it outside the window and she was two flights up. And and, uh, anyway, I come out from behind and she said, what have you been eating? Nothing. I didn't eat a thing. Not me. You know, just this 
innocent little child didn't do anything wrong, but she could tell by the, what was on my mouth. And then she looked outside and she could see that I'd wasted it. Oh, she said, you just wasted it, you know. But, uh, yeah, I just had to have it, but whether I liked it or not, you know. But, um, yeah, I just always loved food from a very early age. You know, and I think it just helped me to feel comforted and, and feel safe and secure because I had a lot of um, fear growing up. You know, I was quite a timid kid and I didn't say a lot because, as I said, there was a lot of yelling and fighting in our family. And, um, yeah, I just was always waiting for the next shoe to drop. <laughs> it was wow. the most uncomfortable feeling. So, yeah, so, yes, I definitely liked food and... Um, and I too wouldn't share if I had any. I used to go hiding so I could eat it and I didn't have to share because there was too many people to share it with. <laughs> and I just didn't want to share. So, yeah. So did your mum or dad realise that you had this problem? Well, I don't know if they did because I remember when I was seven years of age and my mother had taken me down to this new big supermarket that had opened up where you could go in and serve yourself because most shops you just went in and got served from behind the counter. And we went into this supermarket and everybody was filling things up in a brown paper bag. So I get a brown paper bag and I go around and fill it up with all these uh, sugary treats and, and flowery products that I wanted to eat. And I tried to walk out of the store with it. Well, everybody thought that was a huge joke. They took it off me, but I was so livid because I couldn't get it. You know, I was really angry, but yeah, they just, I mean, they bring that up very often about how funny that was. So I don't think they really knew I had a problem until I become probably uh, 11 and 12 because I was putting on weight. I think that's when they started to realise that there was something that wasn't quite right. Um, so what about going to school and friends at school? Did you, um, did you have good friendships? Well, I went to school and I don't remember in, in Scotland much about that except we were, we were in a Catholic school and I was taught by nuns and they used to terrify me. And, um, yeah, they were very stern and, you know, wanted to control everything. And, yeah, so but in school when, when we moved over here, I did have a couple of friends. Yeah, I did have some friends, but... Um, yeah, I didn't make friends easily. I certainly didn't make friends easily. So, and I was always frightened to bring them home because my you never knew what it was going to be like at home to bring your family home because it was not a safe place sometimes. So, was that because of drugs or alcohol? What? It was my father's drinking. My yes. father could be a very angry man in his drinking. Okay. So, moving on then, did things change a bit when you got to secondary school? Well, we, as I said, we moved over to this country and, um, yeah, and, and that was quite scary coming by, by ship. We came over by ship and, um, you know, everybody kept saying it was a, a lovely experience to be having and look at it as an adventure. But all I got to see is we had to leave our dog behind. We had to leave our aunts and uncles and grandparents behind and never got to see them again, you know, and, um, so for me, that it was quite sad to, to be moving away. And yeah, so we, we went to school over here. I probably was 11 when I went to school here. And I remember going to high school here. And I lived in the Villawood Detention Centre as it is now, but it used to be Villawood Hostel in, in, Sydney, um, yeah, in Sydney. And um, 
Yes, so I used to go to high school from there. And I remember all of the kids in the school telling us to go home. They didn't want me here. Just go home. And I couldn't understand what was wrong with me that nobody liked me, you know. I just couldn't understand it. And 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 like the previous speaker said, I, I had a father who was emotionally not available to me. My mother was pretty good, but she had, she had a lot of kids by this time because I was really one of five, you know, and... Um, yeah, it was really hard growing up and, uh, yeah, just not feeling as though I fitted in anywhere or I was even wanted. It was a horrible feeling. So, yeah, food was very, very enticing and very, very good to go to. Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, well, back to you then, Therese. Um, so your mum was obsessed with food so and sort of warning you from having food. So I think you said that that attracted you more to it. So what was the attraction for food? It was like, I guess it was like what they call comfort eating, you know. Um, it made me feel better to have something in my mouth. When I was young, it wasn't just about the food. It was just about having something in my mouth. I, when I read books or newspapers, I used to rip the edges off them and eat the paper. I chewed my nails. I, I guess... I guess it was a very, very nervous child, and that's how it that's how it showed itself. But it was really about having something in my mouth, and it was really about feeling that there was enough, even though our meals were big. I just never seemed to have enough of anything that made me feel good. You know, I didn't see enough of my father. My mother was not affectionate. My siblings, well, the brother was six years older than me. He used to just beat me up whenever he saw me. My sister was educated away from home, so I rarely saw her. And I look back now and I realise there was this emptiness. Like I mentioned, we were isolated and I learnt to self-isolate and I convinced myself that I enjoyed my own company. I think I had to do that to feel safe and to feel acceptable. I was also painfully, painfully shy growing up in such a small and closet sort of environment. There's a lot of rage in my family between my parents. So I was often afraid and scared and crying. Um, and I also had that feeling that children like that take on that I was responsible. If I could just be a really good, quiet child that never caused any problems, that everything would be okay. And um, that, that gives a child a false sense of responsibility. But my, my shyness when I went to upper primary, I had to change schools. The little village school closed down. And it wasn't a big school by anyone's imagination but that that crippled me I didn't have any sort of social graces to start with and this shyness just drove me further into isolation and made me turn more to the food because it was like a coping mechanism for me I had no other means of, of coping and not the ability to understand so, yeah, yeah, I ended up changing schools a couple more times after that and 
each time was just painful, really, really painful. I did have some friends, but it's a story of, you know, my, I'd make a friend and then they'd leave town. They'd disappear. You know, I would say or do something wrong. I always blamed myself. People would just stop being friends, stop talking to me, and I was always left wondering what I'd done and what I'd said. And to this day, I, I don't know whether it was actually anything I had said or done or whether it just was this sense of not fitting in that I, that I carried along with me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we might take a short break there. I've got a song called Girls and Guitars by Wayona Judd from 1993.
enable change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. Yeah, join me at 11 every Friday for some black and deadly sound. Appreciate community radio 855 on your end dial. Voice of the people. Black and deadly Friday, Robbie Fort Radic Radio. Voice of the people. Black and deadly Friday, Robbie Fort Radic Radio. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can either head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free show and how you can contact us. Alternatively, you can just call the 3CR office on 03 8377 and leave us a message. Today I'm talking with Therese and Faye, and we're talking about recovery from food addiction with the help of food addicts in Recovery Anonymous. So Faye, we left you in, in high school. So did things change in high school for you? Well, I didn't stay the full term in high school. I, I was taken out when I was 14 and nine months. My father, because of, and I think partly because of his drinking, but he also was a very bad asthmatic and had bronchitis, couldn't work. And my mother had to go to work. So I had to stay home and mind my baby sister. So I was taken out of school when I was 14 and nine months. I became the, the household uh, person that looked after everything and did the cooking and and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so I, I didn't stay in school very long. So, um, yeah, didn't, uh, it wasn't one of those scholarly people. I remember being in school and sitting at the back of the room and, and not being able to concentrate and sort of just looking out the window and I could hear the teacher talking, but I couldn't focus on what she was saying because my mind was away. And I think that's what the food did to me. It used to just take me away from from where I was, it fogged me out. I just, I just was away with the pixies. So, yeah, so, yeah, so just growing up, looking after my younger sister and, and being the, the mother of the family, per se. And, um, and, and that didn't go very well because my younger sister pulled a saucepan of water from, from the stove. Luckily, it hadn't been on too long and she burnt herself and, and I had to run to the neighbours with her and, of course, Dad then decided that um, she needed to go into care. So they decided they put her in care. So I ended up having to go to work. And I worked in a, a fast food store and, um, yeah, it was a fish and chip shop. So, yeah, that was my first uh, real employment and, and I kind of liked that because I could eat. They told me you could eat whatever you like there but you just couldn't take it home. So, yeah, so I did a lot of eating in that place and, and hence I broke out in, in a lot of um, acne, well, pimples and things all over my face and because it was very greasy food and they do say you are what you eat. And, uh, yeah, that's just how it how it appeared to me. And, um, yeah, and, you know, I'd, I'd left that job and had gone to another job working in a clothing factory but I always found a way of being able to be around food and I used to volunteer to um, 
to get morning teas for different people and, and things like that. So it was a way of me being able to eat when there was nobody around because I preferred to eat when there was nobody around. I didn't want people seeing what I was eating or how I was eating. So did the food affect your weight? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I got very big at a very young age and, um, yeah, so, and, and I remember when I was, or oh, probably about 11 before I went into, well, I'd probably just been in high school. I, my mother had brought me a lovely little bikini and I loved it. And, and I remember wearing it for the first time and, and going to the swimming pool and one of the boys said, oh, look at thunder thighs, here she comes. And, and from then on, I, I just had this insecurity about my body, you know, and I wanted to hide. So I'd, that was the last I saw of that swimsuit. I wouldn't wear a swimsuit and I would hide behind big baggy clothes and, and things like that because I never felt good en enough about myself. So I think that's another reason that I ate, you know, because I could, I was on my own. I, I didn't want to be out with people. I, you know, just had this very great insecurity, great insecurity. So, yeah. So how did that affect sort of close relationships? Did you form any? No, not really. I mean, I had I had a few friends, but I wouldn't have said they were great close friends. I, I've never really had close friends until the, the latter years here, you know. But um, no, I wasn't a great one for making friends. In fact, by the time I had turned 17, I met a boy that I, when I was working in that fish and chip shop, and by the time I became 17, I got married. I got married at a very early age. But that was for me, I think, to get away from my alcoholic home and uh, moved out from, from there to move in with. And, and it turned out that he was a drinker too. And, um, yeah, so I sort of jumped out of the fryer, a fire into the frying pan, as they, they say. And, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle and my weight did get really big. I did get really big at that particular time because we had to live with his family and his mother and I didn't get on a great deal. So um, that, that was difficult too. So, but yeah, food, food numbed me out then. I would, I would eat and eat and eat whenever I got a chance because it just made me feel comfortable at that time. Okay, doesn't it doesn't sound like a very enjoyable experience? That's for sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> so back to you, Therese. So what happened when you left school? Uh, when I left school, I was um, my my parents placed a lot of importance on education, so I did do the HSC, even though I didn't want to. I was already carrying some weight by then, and. I went off and did my nurse's training. Now, that was a perfect cover for me, that shy person who had trouble speaking, because nurses tell people what they've got to do to, to get better. And people started to listen to me, which was new to me. It gave me a sense of identity that I carried with me for many years. My occupation became my identity. I had many, what I, you could only say, failed or, or not even relationships, really. They, they weren't really relationships at all because I'd still not really learned how to communicate and how to relate to people. I did meet a good man 
we married, had um, had a few kids. I'd been controlling my weight with excessive exercise, with smoking very heavily. At times, I starved and restricted. I'd been introduced to Weight Watchers by my mother, not to Weight Watchers, but to a like that diet. She she'd put me on a diet, and I'd lost a bit of weight, so I. I knew how to be careful around the food, but I could never maintain it. The food always won out in the end. And it wasn't very long. I got married and I had four children. And with each one, I gained a heap of weight that I did not manage to lose. And the bigger I got, the more I ate because I didn't know how to help myself. I knew I needed help. I had some knowledge in nutrition, being a nurse and that sort of thing. I knew how important exercise was, but I couldn't be bothered. And it just became worse and worse and worse. The older I got, the more I started eating. And that was when things really started to go downhill from a health perspective. And I really struggled. I really struggled. Um, yeah. What 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 did your husband think of your eating? Uh, he was on my back about it a lot. Yeah. I think I I think I hid a lot of it from him and everybody else as well, particularly when I was heaping on the weight. You know, I'd lie and tell everybody that I didn't eat much, and nobody ever saw me eat very much because I used to wait till. You know, after everybody had gone home or I'd sneak out late at night, I'd hide stuff under the bed, wait till everybody was in bed and then eat it. And, you know, there were times when I'd be cooking dinner for, for us all and I would eat so much while I was preparing it that I'd have to sometimes rush out to the butcher and buy more meat or, you know, get a heap of vegetables and fill the meal out that way so that it, there was enough for six people, you know, because just just grazing away or bulldozing away, I would go so far as to call it, I would eat what would have been enough for four people before the meal was even on the table and then sit down and eat, eat again. Yeah. yeah. So did you look for ways to stop? Yes, I over-exercised. I did go to Weight Watchers three, four, maybe even five times. Once with Weight Watchers, I lost a substantial amount of weight, but I couldn't even do Weight Watchers properly, you know. I'd eat too much, and then I'd, at midnight, I remember midnight one night, I realised I was so many points over, so I went walking off like a, like a hurricane at, at midnight. You know, like not even caring about my own safety, but I was going to make sure that that input equaled output at the end of the day. So crazy behaviour, crazy yes. behaviour. So where did your eating take you? I have to be honest, by then it was taking me to misery. It was taking me to feelings of being helpless and hopeless and not being in control, not I couldn't do something something simple that seems so simple, like control my own eating. 
and it was it was showing. It it was really showing. Yeah, I was. Hey, um, so once you got married, um, you're you're eating. You used that to sort of soothe yourself. So did that affect your marriage? Well, actually, my my first husband died in a car accident, and I was widowed by the time I was nineteen. So. I, he wasn't with me all that length of time, but he, he was a big drinker as well. And, um, yeah, so, but, yeah, just just wanting to feel as though somebody loved me because I, I you just felt, you know, that because I'd grown up with a father who didn't drink and, you know, all, all the men in my life just were not available to me and I always felt my father didn't love me. And if, if my father didn't love me, who would? You know, who would? And uh, as I said, I married a man who was exactly like my dad and died. And, and then I worked in a, a, I went to a work in a fruit and veggie shop and I worked there and, and met a fellow and, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. I ended up with him and, you know, uh, we went out and I got pregnant and I was left by him to raise my first daughter. And um, so, but in that, in that job, again, I would find myself in a position to be able to be around food and to be able to eat secretly away from other people because I didn't like to eat in front of people. Uh, mine was very much a closet eater and a hiding food, you know. So, yeah, so I ended up with a child and tried to bring that child up and then I met my second husband when she was six months old and... Um, uh, and he took her on, and again, another alcoholic, and um, and I just was so miserable and unhappy. I just just couldn't understand what was wrong with me. I kept putting weight on, and how did I get this big? And I, I denied to myself that you know I because I used to say to people, I don't eat very much, and people would say that I well, I don't see you eating, and and that sort of thing, and. Um, yeah, but it was just that denial because I was eating behind closed doors that nobody could see. I'd buy packets of things and, and I would eat the broken bits and say, oh, well, the broken bits don't count. You don't count those, you know. You can just eat as many of them as you like, you know. And, and I used to say to someone, oh, I eat like a bird. And, and this lady said to me, do you understand that birds eat 10 times their own weight in a day? <laughs> You're joking. <laughs> so... And, you know, I remember taking the kids out because I had two kids by this time and we'd go for drives in the country and I was watching this, this cow in the paddock just chewing and chewing and chewing because that's what it was like for me. I had something in my mouth all the time. I was what they call a grazer. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm turning into a cow. I'm eating and chewing the whole time. And, you know, not wanting to do it really not wanting to do it but whatever was in that food the minute I got it in my mouth it was like I could not stop eating more of it I always had to have more and more and more I tried many diets went on to many many diets in those days the woman's weekly came out with a different diet every week comes out monthly now but um yeah, so I tried all those diets. I tried the Atkins, the Pritikin diet, the, you know, the all cabbage soup diet and really wanting to, to not get, get overweight because I thought I just had a weight problem. I thought it was a weight problem, but it wasn't a weight problem. 
I had a, a I had a, a fear, doubt and insecurity problem. You know, I was absolutely terrified of of being on my own, of being able to be, you know, around people, didn't know how to talk to people. And, yeah, if I went to parties, I was the one that offered to take the food around because if I was in the kitchen, I could eat, you know, and it was a way of hiding and eating again. And, and I didn't have to interact with anybody. So I didn't make friends very well and I was very, very shy and very insecure. So... Yeah, my eating really masked out a lot of things. And, uh, you know, I promised myself I wasn't going to eat it. I'm not going to have that today. I'll have something completely different. I'd start the diet. And and in the first instance, I could lose. I lost 35 kilos in, in Weight Watchers at one stage, but gained it all back again. I could never understand. I could lose it, but I couldn't I couldn't keep it off. What was wrong? What was wrong? But... Of course, I've understood as I've come into this program that if you eat the same food you ate before the diet, then, you know, of course you're going to go back up. But that was the denial I had that I wasn't doing anything wrong. I just couldn't see that those foods were not the right foods for me. And, um, yeah, so it was a lot of junk food and, um, yeah, just... Yeah, not happy, really totally miserable. And I remember standing in the shower just crying, saying, oh, God, I'm, I'm sick of counting calories. I'm sick of dieting. I just don't know what to do anymore. I'm just going to eat. That's it. I'll just eat whatever. I don't care. And, uh, yeah, so it wasn't that long after that that I actually found a 12-step program to help me with food. I went into that program for, for probably eight years and um, again, uh, some of the food that I was allowed in that program, I didn't realise was still affecting my weight. I'd, I'd lost again another 35 kilos and started to put it on again and couldn't understand why. So just before I came into Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, I, I really understood that, you know, that you know, there was something really seriously wrong with me because I couldn't stop eating. I just couldn't stop eating. I wanted to, but couldn't stop eating no matter what. And, uh, you know, I didn't realise what I was eating in the other program was the problem until I came into FA. So, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we might take another short break there. This one's uh, by Lucinda Williams from 1990. It's called Lafayette. Oh, my sweet Lafayette, how I'm gonna miss you, you feel so good, Lafayette, now I've come to greet you, hello my friends, I've come back again, I couldn't stay away, I was gone only a day, but I'm coming back. Yeah. Now I know where I belong 
care for a friend or someone in your family with disability, a medical condition or who is elderly, Carer Gateway can help you get free support. Carer Gateway has lots of services to help carers. There's counselling, financial and peer support and online courses that you can do at your own pace. They also have respite services to help you look after the person you care for while you take a break. Call Carer Gateway on 1800 422 737 or visit the website carergateway.gov.au. A 3CR supporter. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, I'm talking with Therese and Faye, and we're talking about uh, recovering from food addiction with the help of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. So, Therese, we finished with you looking for help with doctors and things. So what what sort of help did you find out there? At that stage, I didn't find any. I stayed in the food. I kept putting weight on. Uh, my medical people couldn't help me because I couldn't stop eating. And... To lose the amount of weight I had to lose, you have to be able to stop eating somehow. And I, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't. Um, I knew I needed to find something, but I didn't know what I was looking for. And I guess 
I, I saw a picture on Facebook of a, an old family friend and she had lost a substantial amount of weight. And I saw her not long afterwards and asked her what she was doing, how she'd done it. And she told me a little bit and in, invited me to a meeting. But uh, back then, I was also drinking a lot. She told me that I needed to, I would need to give up drinking. And I just went, nah, not doing that. So I struggled on and on for another couple of years. And I hadn't realised, even at this stage, that the food was the biggest of all the problems. Uh, everybody around me thought that it was the alcohol, but I was drinking one night with somebody. And they looked at me and they said, you know, your problem is not the booze, it's the food. You get drunk, you have no idea how much you're eating. And I remember looking up at her and having some venomous thoughts go through my head, actually. But a, a seed was planted and it was really interesting because the next time I ran into that friend who'd lost all the weight, I asked her about the program she was going to, which was Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. And it was a Sunday night. And she said to me, I'm going to a meeting on Tuesday night. Would you like to come? And we were out. And I looked at what was on the table in front of me. And there was a bottle there as well. And I thought, yep, I'm going to finish this. And then I'm going to start this program. And today is six years later. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to put down the food. It was a struggle, a real struggle, because... I still wanted to believe that I could get away with it. And you can't. You have to put down the foods that harm you. And uh, for me, it's flour, sugar, and the amount that I was eating. But with all the support that I got and still get in this program, and with the realisation that I don't have to do this alone, there is help out there. There are people who have done this before and they know how to help somebody else get their head around it and start to be able to live in a normal way. Uh, I've lost over 50 kilos in this program. I remember the, the thing that happened that really broke my heart was I took my three-year-old granddaughter to the park and I hobbled over to a tree and struggled to sit at the base of this tree because by this stage I had chronic back pain, I had trouble moving. And I sat down with my back against the tree and this little girl looked at me and in a sad voice she said, Grandma, can you come and play with me? And I knew I couldn't, I couldn't get up. It wasn't worth the effort to get up, to have to struggle and sit down again. And it broke my heart to see the look on that little girl's face. And like I said, it was a, a while later and I came across this friend again. And a couple of days later, she took me to a meeting 
and I didn't like putting down the food, but I liked what I heard. I liked what I saw. I saw people get up in slender bodies and talk about the recovery that they'd found, the freedom from the addictive eating, the freedom from food, and I wanted what they had. And they were willing to share their experience with me. And I didn't believe it. I looked at them and I thought, my first thought when I hobbled up those steps into that room was, where's all the fat people? I was the only one there that night. And they passed their photos around. And I saw what they used to look like. And it gave me hope. It gave me hope. And I, I dared to start to think that there was a way out of it. I was 55. I was 55 when I came into this program. Less than 12 months later, I took that little girl and I went down a slippery dip with her. And another parent took a picture of me on a slippery dip. And I still laugh when I think of that today. I have two other grandchildren now. I crawl around the floor with them. Till they start, they're, they're, they're little nuggets, these two. Until they started getting a bit heavy, I could piggyback them. And, you know, jump up and down with them on my back. And you know, I can play sport, I can exercise, I can, I can be a person, I can be an adult in an adult world. I'm not hiding, I'm not in the dark, you know, out the back or in the shed, stuffing my face and being angry because I'm so angry with myself. My life is different today and it is because of this program and the people in it. And the, the simple things that we do to make sure that we put that food down and we don't go back to it. We have a choice. We do not have to go back to it. All the support we need. Thank you. Faye, what, what did you find in your other fellowship that wasn't working for you? Well, I think for me, um, you know, they, they, they called themselves compulsive overeaters. And I did think I was a compulsive overeater, but I did get to a stage where I knew it was more than compulsive overeating for me. It was definitely addictive. It, it, you know, I just couldn't stop eating it. And I remember going to an AA meeting because I was in, in Al-Anon many years ago because of my alcoholic uh, relatives. And, and they suggested I go to an AA meeting and, and, and listen to what it was like for the alcoholic. And I went to many, many of those over the years. And this particular day, I sat there and I thought, you know, listening to their stories about you know, not being able to stop and wondering how they, they'd picked it up again. And, and I thought, geez, I'm, I'm eating alcoholically with food. Like it was sugar in those days. I'm eating alcoholically with sugar. I just could not put this sugar product down no matter what I tried. I wanted to. I really didn't want to eat it, but I couldn't stop it. Once I got the taste for that, it was like I had this, this craving that I could, could not stop eating. And I did want to. With all my heart, I promised myself I would never do it again, but there I was eating it again. And, um, yeah, so I knew there was something not quite right and it. And it was a spiritual program and I remember there was a lady came into that meeting and she wanted to throw the, the, the prayer out. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness, if they throw that out now, what's left? You know, what's left? I thought, jeez. And, I mean, that woman had been in the program for 14 years but hadn't lost a great deal of weight. And I just thought, 
something's not right here. Something is not right. And so I was working with a, an AA girl and I know she was doing the right thing because I knew the answers were in that big book. For some reason, the answer was in the big book, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous big book, they call it. And um, I knew the answer was there somehow. So I, I worked with her for about three months going through the steps and what have you. And, and one day she said to me, look, there's a meeting of FA opening up in your area. Would you be interested in maybe having a look at it? And, and I, I thought to myself, well, she said, just keep an open mind. And my mind was open about a crack <laughs> because I thought I'd tried so many other things and nothing had worked. So anyway, I did go along to that meeting. And, and like it was said previously, I walked in and I thought, gee, I'm in the wrong place because <laughs> I was looking for the big people because that's what was in, you know, the other meeting. And, and they weren't. What I saw were people with their... Their eyes were shining. They were smiling. They were actually happy. And, you know, these thin bodies. And I just thought, wow, have I come into the wrong place here? But I stayed and I listened. And I must have liked what I, what I heard because, uh, you know, uh, someone stood up and said they could sponsor me because we get a sponsor in these programs. And uh, they said they couldn't sponsor me, but they could get me started. She gave me... Uh, what I needed to eat and with specific instructions to go to the, the meeting the following night, which was actually, you know, about an hour, an hour and a half away from where I lived. And I said, geez, I don't go that far on my annual vacation. Anyway, I did. I, I went and, you know, I got a sponsor that, that second night. And, you know, I haven't looked back. It wasn't an easy program because, I mean, I still had all these, feelings that I, you know, there was something not quite right. But, you know, when I started eating that food and for about the first month, I mean, I thought to myself, this is great. I don't have to eat anymore. I'm, I'm committing what I eat every day and tell my sponsor what I'm going to eat and I don't eat anymore. And that was amazing to me because I could say I'm going to eat this today and that was all I ate because before, I would promise myself I wasn't going to eat, but I couldn't stop it. But I got to see when I could put the sugar, and, and for me it was flour too, and I think that was the problem in the other program because I was allowed flour in that program and that's why I put weight on because my top weight was 102 and I'm five foot two and a half inches tall and, and I, was, I had lost all, you know, 35 kilos of that and then put on all bar 12 kilos before I came into this program. And I was weighing 88 kilos when I came into this program. And today I weigh 51 kilos, give or take, because it can fluctuate a little bit. But yeah, I'm just so amazed that, you know, I could eat exactly what I said I was going to eat, whereas in the past I couldn't. Because I was a quantities girl, I liked big quantities I wanted the biggest of everything and, and the most of anything and and now I just you know I, I get to eat my weight and measure meal and I'm, I'm very grateful you know and you know where 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 else could you go I mean I've tried psychiatrists and all sorts of things and here I have someone every morning speaking to me and listening to me every day and developing a lovely friendship with somebody that gets to know me and wants to help me put down the food and not eat addictively anymore. You can come into these rooms and not eat addictively anymore. You know, I'm so grateful that, that that's happened for me. I'm just so grateful that um, 
I don't have to eat like that. And and there's a, a there's a flyer that often goes out, and there's twenty questions on it if you want to find out if you're a, you know if you're addicted to food. And and one of those questions was, uh, have you ever thrown food out in the bin and retrieved it and re and eaten it again? Well, I tell you what, I never threw any food out. All the food that went anywhere went into my mouth. No food escaped me. That's what it was like in the past. And today, you know, if I've, I've cooked too much, I can throw it in the bin today. And that's an absolute miracle for me because I could never do that before. I just, it always went in my mouth. And um, I'm just so grateful. And, and, you know, all the ailments I had too. I mean, I had planned, you know, spurs in my heels I had uh, arthritis in my knee my back was bad and and I'd go to bed of a night scared to death thinking my chest was going to cave in and 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 my heart was going to give out and um and not being able to play with my kids either when they were little I couldn't do that and here I am in this body I'm 68 years of age now and I was able to go into a national park with my grandson too and he wanted to climb this rock that the other kids were climbing on and he didn't know quite how to do it. And, and I said to him, well, we'll just follow grandma up. And I, I climbed up this rock and it was quite a big rock. I got to the top and I thought, oh, how am I going to get over this ledge? You know, I'm saying, help me, help me. Anyway, I did. And I got up and there was a little guy standing behind the rock and he looked at me and he said, you're perfect. <laughs> and I just stood there and thought, Oh, my goodness. And my grandson come up with me. He, he just watched where I put my feet. And, and there I was sitting up there and I thought, oh, my goodness, in my 40s I couldn't do that. And here I'm in my 60s and I'm climbing rocks. Oh, just an absolute miracle. So yep. the program really works and I'm so grateful. Thank you. So, Therese, how has it changed your life now? What can you do now that you couldn't do? Oh, I, I'm happy today. I'd never been happy before in my life. I um, I exercise regularly. I well, I've retired recently, so I can do anything I like. Actually, yeah, I feel like the world's my oyster in a way that it never was when I was young, because I had so much fear and so much doubt and insecurity. And today. I'm just your, your average woman in a slim body doing your, your average stuff. I don't have to be anything special. I just have to make sure I never go back into the food because that destroyed me. It destroyed the first 50 plus years of my life. And now I, I have a life that's enjoyable. I have, I have kids who ask for my opinion instead of walking away from me when I start to speak. You know, I have grandchildren that run towards me screaming with joy like my heart is light. Um, I can do anything. I can do anything I want to do. I'm scared of heights, so that counts out a few things. But, yeah, I can do anything I want to do today. Yeah. That's terrific. Okay. Uh, well, listen, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Therese and Faye for sharing their Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous uh, recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, thank you for thank having you this forum. If you'd like to find out more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, then you can find them on 1800 717 446 or go online at foodaddicts.org. 
I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll feature Margaret from Allen and Family Groups to talk about the family disease of alcoholism. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned now for Alternative. <laughs>